We've been spending our time in the book of Exodus, and Moses has finally made his way back to Egypt. He's 80-some years old. He's had a little trouble obeying. Took him 40 years of being raised in Pharaoh's court to learn Pharaoh's ways, and then 40 years in the desert to unlearn Pharaoh's ways so that he can be used by God to lead his people out of slavery. So finally, after hearing voices coming from the burning bush and other miracles of God, Moses obeys, heads back to Egypt, meets with Aaron, who has presumably been in Egypt for a while, and he also must be old. Together, they convince the Israelites to cooperate. Then they confront Pharaoh, and then you know the story of the ten plagues of Egypt. It's a puzzling story in many ways, but, but Pharaoh has proclaimed himself to be God. And therefore, Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the great I Am, treats him like a God and contends with him. God treats Pharaoh in ways I don't think he would treat humans who are not trying to pretend that they are God. Yahweh proves for everyone in the sight of everyone that Pharaoh is no God. One day, fickle Pharaoh decides to let the people go. The next day, he changes his mind. Finally, Pharaoh is seen for what he is. And Egypt, through these plagues, has been given every opportunity to end this slavery. God has been patient with them. Ten times over, they refuse. And so the stage is set for the tenth plague, the great curse. This particular sign from God is both terrible and foundational. God is offering Israel a chance to obey him. And in obedience, they have a way of escaping the terror that the angel of death will unleash. A special meal is ordered for preparation. Passover. The name will be obvious in a minute. This is chapter 12 of Exodus, starting in verse 1. And I'll be returning to this area of scripture again and again uh, through this sermon. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance, verse 24, for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. 
Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. You heard the instructions. Select a one-year-old male lamb without defect. Slaughter at twilight. Catch some of the blood in a bowl and then put some of it on the top and sides of the door frame of your house. Roast the meat over fire and eat it all that night. Don't keep any until the next day. Stay at home. Stay indoors that night. When the Lord sees the blood of the spotless lamb on your house, he will not allow the destroying angel to enter and you and your family will be saved. And the firstborn of Israel, all who had the blood on the door were spared. But the firstborn of Pharaoh's nation, animals and adults and children alike, they all die in the night. And Egypt is in chaos. And Pharaoh sends Israel away in a hurry. And on the way out, Israel asks for gold and precious items from their neighbors as they have been instructed. And they are given lovely parting gifts, valuables that will help them on their journey. In Israel plunders Egypt on the way out. And they are almost free of Egypt as they, as a group, company by company, the Bible says, march out of Egypt taking what they can carry along with Joseph's bones. Remember, Joseph had already prophesied 400 years previously that God would hear their cry and would deliver them. This is no small parade. We're told there's 600,000 men, which means there's probably about 2 million people altogether. Think about the size of that parade. Think about the pictures you see at the Capitol when there's giant marches of people. 2 million are marching out of, is of Egypt. Imagine the logistics of all of that. This is Exodus thirteen seventeen. now. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God says, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. This parade has a very unusual parade marshal, 1321. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And then, as the story continues, God leads Israel to the banks of the Red Sea to camp there, and things get very messy. This is chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? Why why have we let the Israelites go and lost their services? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. 
He took 600 of his best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's houses and char- horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. These are folks full of confidence, eh? Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It sounds like wise advice, right? Until God speaks. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. This is Israel's salvation story. It is unusual. It is unpredictable. But this is where the history of Israel begins. The Israelite experience of freedom is deeply confusing. The Israelites are slaves. They are freed from slavery and given gifts of gold and silver as they're freed. But then they're pursued by an army. And consequently, they gripe at God and gripe at Moses. And then Moses tells them to be still and watch for God. And God tells them to stop standing still and get moving. And then the pillar of fire that has been leading them moves behind them. And the angel of the Lord moves behind them and separates them from Egypt. And they walk through the depths of the sea on dry land. And then the army pursues them and the army is drowned. Talk about a roller coaster emotional experience. And remember, this whole saga happens at the end of the ten plagues that must have struck fear into the hearts of Israel and Egypt alike. Even if Israel is spared the most devastating aspects of the plague, they're watching what is happening. They've heard the cries of the bereaved in Egypt the night that they left. You would think that there would be some amount of holy fear coursing through the veins of the Israelites. And now they're backed up against the sea, no way of escape, and a pillar of fire and cloud is all that's temporarily protecting them from complete destruction. And in fear and agony, they're complaining and condemning Moses. You idiot, Moses! Why did you bring us out of here to die? 
We could have at least lived back there in Egypt. We know how the story turns out, right? God blew with his wind, puff, 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 puff. And through the sea, God makes a path. That's how they get across. But I would like you to notice one important thing today. When we talk about salvation from sin today, when we talk about freedom from sin and entry into the kingdom of God, we always talk about faith. If you believe, you can be saved. And it is true that the Exodus event is a prophetic picture of the saving work of God in the world. The Exodus is the foundational story of Israel's history. It is here that God creates a people who will be a witness to him in the world. He saves them out of bondage. And I want you to notice it has absolutely nothing to do with their faith. In fact, they've been grouching and complaining right up to the minute that Moses parts the sea. Deserving of the deliverance that God provided for them. They're not even trusting that God will deliver them. They're just griping and complaining. So if Israel doesn't deserve this liberation, why does God provide it? You know what Moses heard in the burning bush was, what is your name? I am. I am who I will be. God chooses sovereignly what he will do and who he will be. He reveals himself as love. Israel's salvation never depended on them. It always depended on God. And he made the choice to provide salvation for them. They couldn't do it. They couldn't help themselves. They couldn't liberate themselves. They weren't clever enough even to run away by themselves. Everything relied on the initiative of God to provide a way of escape for them. Did you know that our salvation never depends on us either? We're not clever enough. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough to ever deserve forgiveness, to ever deserve the new life that Christ has created for us. But God has provided a way independent of our deserving. Don't forget the words of God to Moses, though. Moses told the people, stand still and watch what God will do. And God says to Moses, tell the people to get moving. Only God can open the way. But Israel must respond to the opening of the sea and get moving and walk in the way that God has opened for them. There aren't options on that day. I mean, there's no jet skis conveniently parked on the bank of the Red Sea that they can find another way over. There's no chartered cruise ships available, no ferry across the Red Sea. If Israel's going to get across the Red Sea, if Israel's going to survive, they are going to have to walk in the way that the Lord has provided for them. The sea has been open. The opportunity is available. The opportunity to live 
has been presented. Now they must walk through the sea. And then once they're through the sea, once you see what God has done, once you recognize all that you have been delivered from, there's only one option, right? You see what the word describes. There ought to be this this joy in us that bubbles up in excitement. This is where I need kids to help us with dance moves. I mean, that's what Israel does. They dance before the Lord. You remember what Miriam was saying, right? Miriam is saying, that's her song. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The the joy of that moment is birthed from the fear and panic of all that went for it, right? If whatever went before it here is what tells you how significant the joy is on the other side. Israel will dance. Dancing is the response to what we've been liberated from. And that's what Miriam is doing, the scriptures tells us. Miriam, who has known slavery for 80 years and is now very old. Miriam, who can remember saving Moses from the Nile and delivering him to the hands of the princess. Miriam, who has been on the same roller coaster as all of the rest of Israel, she is going to dance. I've been a Nazarene pastor way too long to have any decent dance moves. But when I hear this story, it seems to me there are two equally important and necessary responses that are available to us. The first is, it's possible that to this point of your life, you have never understood that when Jesus Christ says he is not willing that any should perish, that God gave his son so that all may receive eternal life, that God has opened the way for salvation to every person on the planet, regardless of their deserving, regardless of their ability, regardless of their status. All of that is irrelevant. Jesus Christ died to save us all. The way is open. God has made a way where there seems to be no way. But he still requires us to get a move on and enter. He still requires us to respond to his gracious offer to enter the kingdom of God. And so there's something we have to do in response. We didn't earn it. It's only available because of what God has done. But when we recognize that he loves us and he wants to invite us into his family, the only appropriate response is to step forward and walk in that way. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask, if you've never done that, for you to step forward and make your way to this altar and invite Christ into your life, to to step into the way he's open to you. There's a second response I think that is really appropriate today. And that is, it may be that you've already stood on the bank of the Red Sea 
and seen God's deliverance and walked through to the other side. But you might just have forgotten how miraculous that event is. You might have forgotten what God has done for you. Life gets messy. It gets confusing. And it's easy to lose the joy of your salvation. But one of the reasons we remember this story is that we need to be called back to the dancing. We need to be called back to the joy that helps us remember all that God did for us so that we can celebrate the new life in which we continue to live today. And it may be that you've just forgotten the joy of the Lord. And you need to invite the Father to remind you again of all that he's done and all of the opportunities he's brought your way and the joy that is yours in being a child of God. It's so easy for us to get our eyes focused on other things. And in this culture, most of those other things are miserable things. But God has acted decisively in history, not just on the banks of the Red Sea, but on the cross of Jesus Christ. And in that cross, we have forgiveness of sins. We have new life. And the resurrection power of Jesus is available to all of his children. And so the way has been open for us, and we have to continue in that way. And remember the joy that is ours because of all that Jesus has done for us. I'm going to invite the musicians to come forward, and we're going to sing a song together. It's a simple song of invitation. And if this morning you recognize that you've never left the banks of the Red Sea, you've never walked in the way that God has opened for you, I would invite you to meet me at this altar, and I'd like to pray for you. If you want to kneel, you can. If you're old like me and you'd rather not kneel and you just want to stand, you can do that too. But I'll meet you here, and we'll pray together. I'll turn my microphone off. And we'll pray that, that you will know the joy of new life in Jesus Christ. But it may be that you just would like to pray and ask the Lord to restore the joy of his salvation in your heart. That he can put a little dance in your step. That you can remember the goodness and graciousness of God today. And if you'd like to come and and make that expression, I'm going to ask you to kneel on that side of the altar. Okay? If you're coming to enter the kingdom, this side of the altar, which is where I'm going to be, meet me down here, and we'll pray together. Would you stand while we sing this song, Oh, Come to the Altar? And feel free to come and respond as the Holy Spirit leads you at this time. Open wide.
Precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
Today, thank you for your presence among us. Help us to live in the joy of all that you've done. I pray your special blessing on these who have knelt here today asking for a renewal of the joy of the Lord. Would you pour your spirit on them and fill them in new ways? May they experience a fresh anointing of your spirit. Father, we are so grateful uh, to be your children. And we have such joy in being included by you and your very family. Help us as we go from here now to live that joy, to be your representatives in the world. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And now may the joy of Christ be obvious on your faces so that you can be salt and light in the world. Amen.